Thank you for downloading this episode of the Cast Iron Theatre Podcast. I'm Andrew Allen. And I'm Michelle Donkin. And we're speaking to you from Brighton, uh, where you have been listening to uh, the Cast Iron Podcast recently with our episodes of Finsbury, our six-part comedy fantasia extravaganza. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we're, we're back to what we've I don't say what we do best, but it's what we've done before. We have done. A, we are going back to what you bought the ticket for in, originally. Yeah, which is chatting to people of Brighton, people who are passing through Brighton, people who are working in Brighton in some creative sense. That whether that be uh, writing, directing, dancing, whatever, or indeed creating and producing audio dramas for podcasts. Yes, which Simon does. And uh, we chatted to him about The Other 1%, which is his podcast series. And we chatted in a, a branch of Waterstones, which has a cafe. And there was a little bit of noise in the yeah. background, but hopefully that yeah. won't um, affect your listening pleasure. Other bookstores with coffee shops are available, pr- yes. probably. I actually I have no I, evidence on that yeah, at all. Yeah, I don't all. know. I'll go uh, to that one. So, yeah, we, we chatted to Simon Moorhead, as you say, about The Other 1%. We are... As we're recording this, we're in the final furlong of selecting plays oh, yes. for Cast Iron Twelve, and we are on the. Uh, we've got from the initial sending. We've got down to the long list. We're getting down to the short list. Mm-hmm. The short list is terrifyingly not that short. There's a lot <laughs> uh, of quality stuff for us to be uh, uh, working through. So if you are standing by your podcast waiting for a answer, if you are standing by your email waiting to find out if there's a play for you, if you're a local actor, then we would beg you to have just a little bit more patience and indulgence. That sounded really arsy, but... I, <laughs> Bear with us, caller. Yeah, be, yeah uh, we would ask you that... We're just going to let you know that we're on it. We're on it. We're on it. We're, we're on it. We're so on it. We're on it like a Jane Austen bonnet. In it. So, um, yeah. So that short play night happens in April. Yes. And before April, then there March. is March. <laughs> and in March, we have three things for your viewing pleasure. Let's talk about them in reverse order. At oh, the, gosh, in reverse order. At the end of month. At the end of the month, on the 30th of March, we have Dead Cat Bounce at the Printer's Playhouse. What is Dead Cat Bounce? Dead Cat Bounce is a play written by me, yeah. uh, featuring the fantastic Chelsea Newton-Mountney and the magnificent Yvette May. Um, it's about a reluctant superhero. And earlier, the week before, yes. um, the Saturday before, also at the Printer's Playhouse in Eastbourne, we have One Woman Alien. Yes, that's on the 23rd of March. The movie Alien, told by one woman in one hour, playing all the parts and doing all the special effects. Yeah. And earlier than that, not a week earlier, but towards the beginning of the month. Yeah, I love that we're doing this in reverse order. My brain is melting. My logic on... of that is because... The first event is soonest. I want to put it most recently in our lovely listeners' memory. Wow. Is it working, listener? I mean, it, it, you know, if you, if you are listening to us in Brighton or in Sidcup or in Boston, then, um, you know... We've got a lot of listeners in Boston. We have got... And I'm not talking Boston-Lincolnshire either. I'm it, talking Boston... Boston-Boston. Boston-Boston. Boston in the America. In the America. Um, and, <laughs> what, what, well, it'll be interesting... You know, wherever you are, wherever you yeah. are, uh, get get in touch. Say hello to us. Oh, do say hello. Uh, give some feedback. Uh, if it's nice. If it's not, just 
just hold it in. Then we won't get any feedback. I'm fine with that. Okay. I, I'd like nice feedback and pats on the head nicely. So um, if you but want to contribute not... to Michelle's echo chamber, <laughs> uh, please uh, yeah. do get in touch. But yeah, what, what do we have for International Women's Day? So it's in the week of International Women's Day. It's on the 6th of March. It is our fourth annual not just the companion which i'm curating this year we have a group of um actors who all happen to be female performing scenes and monologues um that were originally cast in male roles yeah made uh classically iconic mm. and well remembered because arguably because they're written and performed by men and uh we're, we're Gender flipping them. We are. Um, it's always a great night. I really recommend booking ahead because tickets starting to fly now. So, uh, yeah, it's a one-night-only thing. And it's not in Eastbourne. It's not. It's at Sweetworks in Brighton on Middle Street. So do pop along if you can. And that's really us. Yeah. So Should we get chatting to Simon Moorhead? Absolutely. I uh, hope you enjoy the chat with Simon Moorhead and we'll catch you again soon. This is essentially our first um, podcast interview of 2019. Um, are you at the point, um, Simon, where you, you make your resolutions or intentions? No. <laughs> In a simple word. Yeah. Um, the, all of the normal ones that I should have made because I was, we were away for Christmas, didn't get made. Yeah. Because, like, stopping drinking and all of those things. Yeah. Going away to celebrate, you don't. And so I may make some February New Year resolutions. I think that that's probably a good plan, isn't it? Because we tend to sort of, we've had a, for many people, we've had a, like a two weeks or one week's stopping of time where we eat chocolate and, and look at nice twinkly lights and it seems all lovely and hopeful and then we move into January when it's it's a tough month for people and so it seems like a, a bit of insanity to go I'm going to deny myself lots of nice things yes yes and also resolutions tend to be about giving up stuff yes um, and it would be I guess it would be unfair to you to sort of go right well you going to start creating more work because that's what you have been doing that is what you are doing it is what I'm doing um, and it is a continuous process um, having committed to uh, six episodes of months which I'm now planning to up to between eight and ten episodes a month uh, starting in March um, it is just a continuous cycle of uh, pre-production, production and post-production. This is, um, I mean, that is a, a, a significant commitment and I want to dig deeper into that further into the chat, but um, this is um, somewhat the first time us at the podcast have spoken to another podcast. Um, <laughs> and although the other 1% is not obviously a chat show, it's a bit um, I want to see I want to ask how you would describe the other 1% to someone who might not be familiar. The other one, it is a podcast. Um, it sits within the realm of audio drama podcasts, yeah. which have been established by the American um, podcasters, and who I, I basically aspire to. Uh, the, the, the person who... Um, 
probably influenced me the most in getting into uh, doing this was Casey Wayland and We're Alive. Yeah. Um, and that was a few years ago. Um, a few years ago, I was sort of involved with a company that was doing a project for Audible, who were creating their own podcast channels as free content. So um, they commissioned a number of companies to produce content for them. And then immediately said, but of course our budgets are um, so much lower because it's free content, it's um, podcast level budgets. So I spent a long time trying to work out how to emulate um, the podcasts in America, people like Casey Wayland, which has uh, We're Alive, which has high production values, uh, sort of multiple actors recorded and putting out three to four episodes of, um, a month. Um, so I sort of looked at his things and I looked at anything I could find on the internet and I worked it out. And we tried, I tried it with Audible and the, the experiment worked. Then Audible decided they weren't going to put out the channels um, and what we did for Audible still sits on the shelf somewhere in hyperspace. Um, but I took the principle and created the other 1% around it. Um, going back to Casey Wayland, We're Alive, it was 140 episodes of um, chasing zombies around LA. Um, and I think the figure I saw this month, it's reached 100 million people. Um, and you start to put that in perspective of television, film, um, and you, you work out that actually his podcast series that very few people have heard of has been listened to more than the entire audience of Frozen uh, by Disney, including DVD sales, etc. Um, which actually illustrates the power of the podcast. And you then look at Serial, um, Welcome to Nightville, and a number of the other American shows that are getting five million hits per episode, etc., etc. And that's become my inspiration. And this is something that perhaps 10, 15 years ago, frankly, we weren't expecting that, you know, although audio drama has always been a thing, it's never died, you would have thought that um, it was being seen as a bit of a museum piece, a bit of a relic, and the podcasts, singly the podcasts have turned that around. Yes, very much so. Um, In the UK we had Radio 4, course but Radio 4 plays to a 55 plus audience in America you don't have the uh, network radio stations you have the private ones which is all about advertising pop music Um, so podcasts have found an audience with the 20 to 35 year old uh, listener who doesn't listen to radio Um, my daughter um, doesn't 
ever listened to the radio. She listens to her smart smart speakers. She listens to her phone. She has the phone in the car and the um, the music and the Spotify channels, etc., etc. And you recognise that sort of this generation, sort of the twenty year old generation, is growing up with smart. Um, devices, yeah. and they don't listen. They don't listen or watch terrestrial um, devices, which is the big problem for the industry. That everything's based around a broadcast schedule, or a radio schedule, or a cinema cinematic release schedule. Yeah, and people don't want it anymore. And we were listening at uh, Cast Iron Tower, so we were listening to um, some content from Radio 4, or Radio 4 Extra, and it seems that they are, they're changing the shape of their audio drama to a podcast, because they're aware, of course, yeah. that most of their content yeah. will end up on yeah. a podcast anyway. Yeah. Um, they, they are, um, but they still, they still have a problem that their budgets are um, because they're Radio Four. The agents for the the um, for the actors expect to BBC Radio Four fee. Yes. Um, so they make they're effectively making drama drama for podcast, but actually competing outside the field of podcast. And I think one of the interesting things of doing podcasts is being creative in creating drama that is within the budgetary realms of what a podcast can actually generate. Yeah. It's interesting that you, you talk about um, the budgetary constraints of a podcast drama and with the other 1%, which is essentially an anthology series in that it can be a different location each time. Yes. And the old saw about uh, audio drama is that you will be able to do create an alien world or a excursion to Croydon, and that's going to be the same budget, essentially. Yes. yes. Uh, which is one of the great freedoms yes. of an audio drama. Absolutely. Although I admit that an alien invasion and uh, a Croydon might arguably be the same. Uh, speaking of a Croydon boy myself. Yes. Um, <coughs> obviously, audio drama has it predates podcasts. Um, you, uh, you speak about your inspirations more recently, but do you have inspirations of audio drama? Oh, sure. I mean, one of my favourite, I think one of my favourite um, audio dramas is the BBC Radio 4 Lord of the Rings, oh, yes. which um, surpasses the films, although the films, I think, are brilliant. They surpass them because it's all in the mind. Yeah. You you create the creatures in your mind and you live in that world. And that 13, 13, 13 hours... They were it must be around that, yeah. 40 to 50 minutes times 13 episodes was a fantastic journey and took you on that journey. But I, I also go back to when I was a boy uh, when my grandfather used to buy LPs, which I've been trying to find in record shops. And they were LPs of things like Three Musketeers, um, William Tell, I remember. And they were... They were mini LPs, so they were sort of it was smaller side, and they came in yeah. two flats, and they told they were multi-character dramas yeah. that you stuck on the record player. I used to go to my grandfather's and he'd stick it on, and I'd listen to it. Yeah. And it comes to the end, and it's can you put that on again, please? Because yeah. I got involved in that world yeah. of um, 
uh, William Tell and Three Musketeers. Yeah. So it's always been with me for my life. Um, I could have said, although recently I've gone off it, I've always been a lifelong Archers fan. Yeah. So I grew up on the Archers. Um, it's got a bit boring at the moment. I'll go back to it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, there are, there are some people who are almost religious about the arches. Yes. I, I find that fascinating in terms of it's 60 years, 70 years now. Yes. Um, and it being that must, I think it might now be the longest continuing drama. There was a, a radio series in America called Guiding Light, I believe, that had been going on since the early days of radio. And then I think in the mid-90s or 2000s, it, it translated into TV, which actually was a death knell for yes. it. then stopped happening. Yes. Um, but I found that fascinating. Yes. You'd, you'd almost touched 100 years of continuing drama. Yes. You, f- you feel slightly disappointed when they ever release any pictures of the cast yeah. of the archers because Shula Arch doesn't look like that. Yeah. Um, David Arch doesn't look like that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's about imagination and um, what you... Right. You bring to the drama yourself. So you, um, essentially, you commissioned the scripts for uh, the other one percent. Um, yes. Uh, you're the one who sort of you may ask for them or we might submit them to you, depending on what yes. time of year. It is. Yes. I mean, I, it, um, it's because a I can't write, or I recognise that my writing isn't actually up to scratch, and b I can't act. And my acting, singing and dancing is certainly not up to scratch. So that's an interesting thing in terms of what's essentially a commissioning editor. If you yourself are placing yourself in a position of somebody who believes they cannot write, but you understand what a good story is, what are you going to be looking for for a script to get past the gates? Uh, what I look for is actually something very simple, um, and it's a principle I've had since working as a producer. It's, do I want to see this story? Do I want to hear this story? Um, if I want to, if I want to hear it, then it is a story that I am likely to commission. Um, we had we had a brief on the uh, other one percent that it was when we started. It was stories that were um, stories of the paranormal that were allegedly true. Yeah. And I found myself slightly boxed in with it because there were two stories that I told uh, that one series of plays that we'd already made, which was the Bolin Brothers, and another series of plays that I wanted to tell, which was Protect and Survive. Yeah. And I sort of convinced myself that I could find a link between um, West Ham Powell's Battalion in World War One and a nuclear strike on the UK in the future had some tie into the paranormal. Um, and I said, yes, it, it, it's fine, Simon. It, it, there, it's there useful were, if there, you are the commissioner. There, there, were, there, were, there were ghosts, possibly the, the soldiers who fell in the battlefields of World War One are ghosts now, and if there's a nuclear war, possibly they're ghosts, so it fits. Um, however, we've now broadened the horizon to simply stories with attitude for mature listeners. 
stories or attitudes from mature listeners. That's your log line right there, isn't it? Yes. So that is, so moving forward from March onwards, we're broadening the horizon. Still central paranormal stories, etc., but it's essentially stories that we want to listen to. So, um, for any aspiring writers, the um, the advice, stories that I want to listen to or hear more of is as beautifully and helpfully nebulous as I'm ever going to want from an editor. So, let me put it in the other way. What is going to put you off a script? Um, what puts me off a script... Um, I have I've, I, to answer that I have had ex- experience in uh, as a script reader and um, very um, sort of tenuously with film finance reading a lot of scripts to yeah. finance um, so for instance with the other 1% it's for mature listeners we're definitely labelling it. It is for mature listeners. Therefore, anything goes, including language. Yeah. Um, the use of the F word and the C word. But to me, it has to be in context of the um, the piece of work. Um, I found it more obscene creating a soundscape of... World War One battlefield than soldiers using the yeah. F word. What instantly puts me off the script is getting the page where someone has used the F word throughout the first page because they think it's clever yeah. or it's good. This makes it cool and trendy, and usually by page three it's in the bin. Um, and it, so. That that puts me off the script. Um, sub, sometimes it's actually just the subject matter turns me off. Yeah. It's what I'm, what we, what I try, what the other one percent about is good storytelling yeah. that is adventurous. It is about going, um, it's being able to tell stories that you wouldn't be able to tell and it's not having a slot so if someone wants to tell a story that is about ghosts and monsters epic battles in space things that are out there um, two, two people sitting in a cafe in Brighton doesn't really do very much for me not, certainly not for this particular it's, podcast yeah. yeah, it's sort of that there is a place for everything. Um, if we, if I get the other one percent to become sustainable, I think my next target. I'd love to use the model to do stories for children. Yeah, and um, actually, then looking at purely stories for children. Um, I think it. I think it sort of goes with. The type of films I like and the type of I, I like slightly quirky films I like edgy films I like sort of I like I'm like James Bond as much as anyone else Game of Thrones as much as anyone else um, I'm not great um, I don't really watch soap operas so I'm not really interested in those type of stories 
What's interesting, however, about the um, the other one percent is, although it's not a uniform thing, it is occasionally serial that it will um, go from episode to episode. Yes, uh, which is an interesting thing for this particular podcast in that it will be to the lazy comparison it will be uh, like a Twilight Zone thing of a different story each time, or it will be continuous. Whereas you do both. We do both, um, and that's that's deliberate. Um, some some podcasts are like um, sort of get back to we're alive yeah. was a single story over 140 episodes, which is great if you can hook in an audience who wants to stay with you for 140 episodes. There is also I'm fully aware with box sets that I come to that I look on the shelf and look at a box set like Supernatural that is just reaching season 17 and I go, I haven't got time to watch 17 seasons of a TV show to now along. Um, So one doesn't get engaged with that. So my 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 feed my one of the goals was actually to make it anthology that if you don't like one story you you might like another one. If you like that one you might like that one. Um some of the two parters, three parters, four parters is just because that's the length of natural length of the story. Um podcasts work over a 20, 30 minute sort of duration um, that time to take a car journey or train journey um, so episodic um, four parters got a bit of a became a bit of a struggle so I probably won't be doing any four parters we are launching in March three series um, that are a uh, single episode uh, with the same characters yeah. carrying on through the months. Um, see how that actually uh, goes. And in Brighton, it's become a little bit of a um, a safe haven for local actors and uh, local writers. Yes, it's almost like a, an audio rep company. Yes, I mean there there are a lot of actors and writers in the Brighton area. Um, I think last, um, stat-wise, I commissioned 46 scripts last year from 15 writers. We produced 17 hours of drama with around about 30 actors. Um, And a a lot of actors get overlooked. We we have we have really difficult situation in the UK. Ninety percent of the actors are unemployed. Um, people complain because I mean I saw one uh, complaint and thing about Bradley Walsh um, being in uh, Doctor Who, yeah. The Chase, uh, Bradley and Son, and something else. You know, can we ha- can we have someone else on yeah. television? Um, a lot. I've, I've grown up in the world where it's about names, it's about um, casting. Can we get such and such? Can we get such and such? Oh dear, we can't. They're, they're busy. Who else can we have? I go from the point of view of finding voices that um, match the part. And the great thing about audio is you're never seen, so it doesn't matter what people turn up in. 
Um, it's it's about it's about telling original stories that's fun and having fun. And you, and you have names attached to the writers as well. You have people who are. If you're interested in genre drama, you already know that people like Andrew Cartman, who wrote for Doctor Who, although he interestingly doesn't talk about it as much at the moment, probably <laughs> just to get away from all the fans. Um, but that's interesting. So it's, it's not like it's um, it's not amateur half hour. There, no, no. A... Um, and Andrew, uh, I've known since uh, I was involved in the, in the God mid nineties when I was involved with the company that was trying to resurrect Doctor Who in the period between it finishing and starting. What people just, call the hiatus. Um, yes, yeah. just before the Paul McCann one. Yeah. yeah. And Andrew was part of the conglomerate that we were doing it. So I've known Andrew for years. Yeah. Um, I bumped into him in the London Comic and Film Convention last year. Uh, we got chatting, said, do you fancy writing something? Yeah. He said, yes, I do. And it was like, okay, that's fine. Um, Colin Brake, who um, uh, is also ex-BBC scriptwriter, um, Doctor's Space Patrol, Think Doctor Who, um, um, family affairs, all sorts of things he's been involved in. Um, he was introduced to me when I was doing the Audible thing. We, he, he churned out scripts and uh, he, he, was, he was great to work with, so he's, he's doing scripts. Um, Jonathan Williamson is someone I've known for years who is a great, great writer. Um, and I think going back to the earlier question about what do I like in the script, yeah. I know that when actually with the pool of writers that I've got, when they deliver a script, there will be probably a moment where I go, oh, I didn't yeah. see that coming. Yeah. Oh, uh, that's taken in a direction uh, that um, I wasn't expecting. So it's that element that I like. We've also got um, one writer who it's his first script he's ever written. Yeah. Um, another writer who is really full writer but is looking to break into it. So it's not. It's a cross between new writers and experienced writers. writers. And you, you've obviously had the the experience of uh, reading for um, visual. Um, what, I mean, this is somewhat of a, not a loaded question, but a question that's demanding perhaps an obvious answer. But what for you is the difference between a script for <laughs> visual and a script for audio? <laughs> um, we hit that. Um, and I, I will say with the scripts, not every script works. Yeah. Um, there are some scripts that I could probably spend more attention reading than I have done. Because I've, I've had a script that's been delivered to me and they've gone, oh, that, that's fine. Um, and we've got into the studio. Um, we've, there, there, is one that, that, there is one that's interesting. Um, one of, in answer to your question, the biggest thing, and I learnt it, very recently on doing the in the sound, doing the sound design, the 
Bright had written a scene where, which was set in an empty theatre and the characters were in the middle of the theatre and there's a knock on the, the stage door yeah. and um, one of the characters says, who's that? I'll go and see, cut to opening the door, uh, po- keys out of the pocket, yeah. opening the door and you realise visually you would actually Follow. go, go yeah. the... The close-up of the person going, I, I will see the wide shot of them walking, yeah. cut to the door, putting it in, and the keys into the door. And you realise that you can't do that in sound. Yeah, as a listener, you're not aware that you've left the other person behind. No, it's yeah. so um, that's been a big note to all the writers. Yeah. Um, we can't do that. Um, we, have one, we have one script, uh, which we got into the studio and we just realised there was a big hole in the story um, and it was one of those holes that just we could not fill and yeah. um, it just didn't make sense because we recorded it I wanted to use it um, and but I realised there's a big hole in it and I can't redo it um, so it's been sitting there and it was actually meant to go out this month. But we've developed a new series, um, which is a dark comedy series, which is based in the production offices of The Other 1%. (laughs) And episode three, I had a meeting with the writer and we plotted out the year's worth of storylines. In episode three, I wanted to set in the production office with a production so we decided to do a production that had got uh, we decided the storyline is going to be the, the writer hasn't delivered the script that's meant to be in the studio for next week Yeah. so there's the ticking clock what do we do the only thing in the cupboard is this episode that's got a big plot hole in where we've also killed off the lead character and the lead characters come back in another series set in the 1970s. And we're going to bring the actress in to defend, um, playing herself, defending her character of like, you can't, you can't do a Bobby Ewing um, shower scene type thing, it doesn't make sense. And we're going to have the writer playing himself in it uh, trying to come up with a solution so that at the end of it there will be no solution so the um, so the solution is we'll put it out anyway because the audience will never notice (laughs) and the idea is to put out both episodes at the same time so you can the audience is sort of in on the joke and we're actually we're using material that is actually flawed, but in a, we're actually sticking our hands up and going, it's flawed, there is a hole. We'll tell you what the hole is, it's not a problem. So we're now at the point where indeed we are making podcast dramas about podcast dramas. Yes. Um, and uh, indeed, um, Mark Gatiss this year did um, The Christmas Ghost Story for the BBC, which was essentially the same sort of joke, uh, sort of um, Simon Callow recording, um, which felt like a very much uh, another 1% sort of thing yes. called The Dead Room, yes. and a bit of that Valentine Day sort of flavour. Um, 
do you see that it's purely going to be audio for you for the foreseeable or do you think you will ever go into a, a visual medium as well I never say never um, I'd, I'd say I'm an ex uh, film producer ex TV producer now um, of an ex is that, um, are you like many exes and are you bitter or would you no. want um, I'm just realistic about the state of the industry yeah um, in terms of film, um, the independent British film industry is um, six foot under um, and is never going to be resurrected. TV is TV's changing, but it's become it's still the same gatekeepers, yeah. um, but in a different guise. Um, and I'm, I'm now out of touch and too old to get back into the, um, the endless routine of um, meetings, trying to pitch ideas yeah. and everything that goes with that. Um, having said that, um, we're looking at experimenting with filming some of our monologue series yeah. as a visual, for sort of visual visual medium which you've done to some degree before with Robert Cohen doing his yeah. writing ghost stories yeah we're sort of looking at expanding that on yeah. the, um, the platforms um, if an opportunity came along for this um, TV show a TV show based around production offices I think that could work as an IT crowd type of yeah. sitcom which would be of interest um, probably from my point of view I would leave it I would support the writers yeah. um, and uh, leave them leave it to someone else um, because again today in television you need to you need to be a production company that has a track record with a broadcaster to get a commission and it's, it's a headache and um, there's very little reward so the, the, the joy of podcasts is that I can do it myself um, the only, yeah, if I get it wrong the only person I can blame is myself if I get it right um, I tap my uh, shoulder and say well done son how long on average does it take to get it right from um, recording a script and editing um, it's uh, it's how long's a piece of string yeah um, I had a um, script delivered to me last week which is extreme it's a fantastic piece of writing by a lady called Laura Lockington. Um, I actually said yes to it two pages in, um, having not quite realised where she went with the story. Uh, and I sort of, oh, I've, I've got to come to the end of it. I'd commissioned it and got to the end, and it was like, oh wow, <laughs> I didn't see that one coming. Um, we did a reading of it last sun, uh, Sunday. We'll record it next week, yeah. and it'll go out in February. Yeah. Um, some scripts I commissioned in the um, summer, which we still yet to yeah. record, primarily because it's um, the it, it sort of. I look at the casting and 
it's putting multiple cast together on the day's recording so it's balancing the number of parts with the number of actors um we often ask people on the podcast um, about podcasts and tv programs and books i.e are there other things that are not your own product that you're enjoying at the moment that you want to give a shout out to oh right we normally prep people for this question. I'm sorry. That's all right. Um, that could be anything. That could be films what or the, box sets what, or what, anything. What did I? Um, there's several things I've. We've we've come to. My wife and I realised that we've come to a strange month. That all of the podcast series that we've been this all of the TV box sets that we've been watching for the last two or three years have all come to an end and we're not quite sure what we're going to do um, one that I particularly enjoyed was The Last Ship um, which was started off as um, a plague um, type virus that wiped out half of the population and an American warship goes to the Antarctic to get the cure um, and they managed to get the cure and second season was about America having been decimated and little affiliates sort of trying to take over it and then one was about a Russian submarine trying to steal the cure and then and it's, it's yeah. been all over the world and finally they've sort of blown up the ship um, that was great fun um, I quite enjoying Les Mis at the moment. Yeah. Um, Mr. Singing. So here's an unfair question uh, to end on. Um, unfair because there may not be an answer to it. What is the story that you are waiting for? What's the story that has yet to be told? I can't answer that because at the moment I've told all of the stories that I want to tell. Um, so I'm waiting. I think the answer to that is I'm waiting for a writer to come to me with a story saying, "What do you think of this?" And me go, "That's that's wonderful." Um, because the big big story in the last few years that I've been passionate about is protect and survive. Yeah. Um, and that the, the whole. Um, going back to threads in the 1980s and sort of nuclear war being at the forefront and we've told that and I've got I've got nuclear war out of my system Um, Bolin Brothers got First World War and battles out of my system Um, what we're doing with podcasts with the paranormal sort of that satisfies that Um, I'm I'm enjoying the the monologue series that we're creating Um, I've just commissioned a six part monologue series from Andrew Cartmel and Colin Brake uh, this morning giving them the go ahead which I'm quite looking forward to Um, I'm always on the uh, lookout for stories but sort of things that's different. So here's a slightly different question then. What paranormal or indeed normal still gives you nightmares? If you've got nuclear war out of your system, what's still going to give you sleepless nights? 
in 2019. What gives me sleepless nights in paying for it all? <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to get more terrifying answers than that, are we? Um, I, I, I'm actually at a sort of relatively sort of happy place in and contented place in my life um, I just I, I think it's still find, it's just finding something that um, makes me go oh yeah oh wow the sound you hear aspiring writers is that of a gauntlet being thrown down uh, Simon Moorhead thank you very much thank you very much This has been the Cast Iron Theatre Podcast. Presented by Andrew Allen. And edited by Michelle Donkin. Music is Chapstick by Everett Armand. Find us on Twitter, on Facebook, and our website, castironbrighton.weebly.com. Subscribe to us and rate us on SoundCloud and iTunes. Thanks for listening.